You're listening to your Bible teaching program called Search for Truth. Thanks for joining us. It's great to have your company. Now, Brian Johnston, our Bible teacher, brings us talk number seven in our present series called Increasing Our Christian Footprint as We Walk with God. Last week, Brian looked at what happens when our foot slips, and this time it's about regaining a foothold. And Brian takes lessons from the life and times of King David in the Old Testament of the Bible. So, let's hear all about it now with Brian. Thanks, John. Recent archaeological discoveries in the Jordan Valley and in the adjoining hills of Samaria would appear to indicate that as Israel took possession of the land, they tended to mark their ownership by building several structures that actually resemble, to this day in fact, a large footprint. These unusual structures, referred to as Gilgals, consist of two enclosed circles of stones that share a common border and therefore are joined together, forming the shape of a giant footprint. One university professor from Haifa claims that the foot structures found in the Jordan Valley may very well be the first sites the people of Israel built upon entering Canaan and testify to the biblical concept of staking ownership of the land with the foot. As fascinating as it is to speculate on these ancient circular and foot-shaped Gilgals in the Holy Land, it's of more benefit to make a spiritual application from the associated events, relating Israel's experience in some way to our own journey. We've already thought of some of them, and now we come to the life of King David. In his life, too, Gilgal features. Once again, there's a sense of renewal. We should first review some of the background to David's loss of his throne. One desolate night in his life, David had come crashing down. Lust was his undoing, as it has been for so many others too. David broke his marriage vows. One moment's stolen pleasure would bring him years of heartache and brokenness further downstream in his life. It all seemed to come to a head when he later failed to deal decisively with incest and rape in his own family circle. That left the door open for others to take matters into their own hands. Ultimately, one of his own sons would rise up against him and carry out a political and military coup, tipping his father off the throne at Jerusalem. Before we return to the storyline of King David's experiences, it may be worth just noting that it came from someone well known to him, a son of his, from whom the threat to David's throne came. What's more, it was something he brought upon himself, according to the biblical principle that whatever we sow, we reap. David's personal moral collapse in sleeping with another man's wife, although graciously forgiven by God, would cast a long, dark shadow over the rest of David's life. He lost the moral authority he previously had, especially within his own family circle. He troubled his own family. And sometimes, in our lives for the Lord, it's a lapse of integrity in some area of our lives that slowly ripples through our lives, disturbing them. We bring difficulties upon ourselves. And whereas before we may have been reigning in life through Jesus Christ our King, we suddenly find other, perhaps familiar things have usurped his place in our lives. It happens so easily. It happened to the Church of God in Laodicea, according to Revelation chapter 3. They'd cooled off in their passion for the Lord. They soon discovered that the Lord doesn't stay where he's not given his rightful place. He was now on the outside of their lives, pictured in the memorable illustration of verse 20 as a street salesman knocking on the door to try to have them re-engage with him. 
we talk about cold calling, and they certainly hadn't requested his visit to their door. The issue was, would they bring back their Lord and King to regain the throne of their hearts? That's a good point at which to return to our lessons from the life of David at Gilgal. He'd also had to retreat from his central and rightful place in the nation. Absalom, his son, had displaced him. It was the only time David lost his throne, and it was no foreign enemy army that had achieved this, but his own flesh and blood. Often it's our closest ties that can interrupt our walk with the Lord if we lose our discipline where they are concerned. We'll rejoin David now after the battle against Absalom's forces has been fought and won. In principle, David can now return and recover his throne. But what's the state of mind of the majority of the people? After all, many had sided with his son against him. David couldn't simply assume it would be business as usual, as it had been previously. The narrator of the Bible book of 2 Samuel captures the mood of the people. 2 Samuel 19. All the people were quarrelling throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines, but now he's fled out of the land from Absalom. However, Absalom, whom we anointed over us, has died in battle. Now then, why are you silent about bringing the king back? Notice how finely balanced it was. Some thought he'd blown it. Others were for giving him a second chance. But I'd like you to pick up on that rallying cry by some of them back in that day. They spoke about bringing back the king. Those words, like any crafted political slogan today, have a certain ring about them, haven't they? There'll be times when the sense of them will have a voice for us in our lives in application to the King of Kings. No matter how often we sing the words of the song, King of my life, I crown thee now, there will be times when things we allow to happen will deprive our King, Jesus, from his rightful place on the throne of our heart. Sometime later, the Lord will appeal to us, as he did to the Laodiceans, and the issue will be, Will we bring back our king? Well, let's see what happened in Israel. Second Samuel 19 again. Then King David said to Zadok and Abiath of the priests, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house, since the word of all Israel has come to the king, even to his house? You are my brothers. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be the last to bring back the king? Say to Amasa, are you not my bone and my flesh? May God do so to me, and more also, if you will not be commander of the army before me continually in place of Joab. Thus he turned the hearts of all the men of Judah as one man, so that they sent word to the king, saying, Return, you and all your servants. The king then returned and came as far as the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal in order to meet the king, and to bring the king across the Jordan. It's interesting, isn't it, that David had to take the initiative and notice that he sent his appeal to the elders, those who were the more mature in experience and in positions of responsibility. Why were they the ones who were hesitant? But isn't it true that the passion of a much younger Christian can be a rebuke to our own spiritual stagnation? The heart is the most deceitful thing in the world. And so it's no surprise when among the ranks of those who've once taken a spiritual lead in the lives of others, there can be found some who at times are found to be lagging behind. Why indeed are they the last to experience personal revival? Has life become settled, 
comfortable? Are they and do we become content, relying on some past success which the Lord has previously granted? You probably picked up on the fact that it was to Gilgal that the people came once they'd decided to welcome back their king and give him safe passage across the Jordan River. At Gilgal, they recognised their debt to David and renewed their commitment to him personally. Things tended to come full circle at Gilgal. It does seem bound up in its significance with important renewals. Now, here again comes the reminder why we're considering this episode from David's life. Still in Second Samuel 19, but verse 40, Now the king went on to Gilgal, and all the people of Judah and also half the people of Israel accompanied the king. And behold, all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why had our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household and all David's men with him over the Jordan? Then all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is a close relative to us. Why then are you angry about this matter? Have we eaten at all at the king's expense, or has anything been taken for us? But the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten parts in the king, therefore we also have more claim on David than you. Why then did you treat us with contempt? Was it not our advice first to bring back our king? Yet the words of the men of Judah were harsher than the words of the men of Israel. As we've said, the people of Judah met King David at Gilgal and helped him cross the Jordan to return to Jerusalem and retake the throne from his late son Absalom. Having been slow to be proactive in welcoming him back, there's now some irony that the factions of Israel and Judah, the southern part of the kingdom, seem to be rivaling each other in who was the most loyal and who had the strongest claim to David. But in a true way, this mirrors the inconsistency of our heart's affections and the inconstancy of our spiritual desires. We too blow hot and cold, do we not? But a revival is no place for an argument. During the days of the Welsh revival in 1904, two men from London travelled to Wales. They said they wanted to witness the revival. When they arrived at the railway station, they asked the ticket agent where the revival was. The agent drew himself up to his full height, patted his chest and said, The Welsh Revival, sir, is under these buttons. As that officer was plainly indicating, true personal revival occurs when the heart is stirred to bring back the king to his rightful place at the centre of our lives. Oh!
So let our prayer of revival be in the words of our hymn that we've just heard. Finish then thy new creation, pure and spotless may we be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Change from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love and praise. Those are challenging words indeed. So make sure you remember the free transcript book for this series. It's available to you by asking for the title Increasing Our Christian Footprint. You can order by email or by post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4 8DY UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. And did you know, by looking up www.searchfortruth.org.uk, you'll find our church's main website, where you can download some actual programmes and their accompanying transcripts, as well as accessing other helpful material. We're nearly finished for today, but next week is the last talk in this series, and it's called A Determined Walk. So I hope you'll be determined to join us. Until then, it's very best wishes from our Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers and me, John. So cheerio and may God richly bless you. Three.